Hello, welcome to Paper and Ink Literary Zine, Punk and Poetry Podcast, Episode 10. The title is still a fucking mouthful, and I'm still Martin, host of the podcast. I run Paper and Ink Literary Zine and Scumbag Press. Thank you so much for, for tuning in to Episode 10. And as I was sort of prepping the episode, thinking like, oh, episode 10, that's pretty cool. 10 episodes in, so far so good. And then I realised quickly that it had been three fucking years since I started the podcast. And 10 episodes in three years is pretty fucking lame, to be honest. So I once again apologise for my tardiness and laziness in getting these episodes out to you. Um, If anyone's still listening, that is. (laughs) I don't know. Um, Even if you're not, fuck it. I enjoy doing it. So that's what it's all about, right? So coming up on episode 10, uh, I've got an interview with Jim Gibson, a good writer and a good friend. Um, Jim and his partner Sophie started a literary zine called Handjob around the same sort of time that I started Paper and Ink, uh, sort of almost 10 years ago now. Um, So Jim and I have known each other for a long time. The reason for him coming on the podcast um, is because he's actually got a book coming out, uh, a short story collection called The Bygones, um, which is being published by Tangerine Press. So if you're listening to this post-October 2022, then the book's already out and you should totally go and pick up a copy. I mean, if you're in any way involved in the small press or you just like good literature, then undoubtedly you'll probably already know all about Tangerine Press and the amazing stuff that they publish. Um, You know, they've published everyone from fucking Billy Childish and Mick Guffin. You know, they've published stuff by William Wantling and, uh, you know, so many amazing stuff that they've put out, um, you know, and they make really great hand-bound, like, handcrafted books. So it's really fucking cool to see Jim up there with, you know, that array of great writers that they've published in the past uh, for, with Tangerine Press. And The Bygones is a really fantastic uh, short story collection, um, and we'll talk more about that in the interview with Jim, and he'll, he'll tell us uh, all about it. Um, before then, though, we do have some music to play, and um, we've actually got um, a brand new single from one of my favourite bands around uh, in the UK punk scene at the moment, uh, Nosebleed. Again, if you're into UK punk, um, in, in any way involved in the scene, um, you'll know all about Nosebleed. Um, they tour up and down the country, tearing up stages anywhere that will that will let them. Um, they're an amazing band, a three-piece from Leeds. The song that we're going to play is a brand new single from their forthcoming album, uh, Dance With The Devil, uh, which will be out on TNS Records in uh, November 2022. So again, if you're listening to this post-November 2022, jump on TNS Records and pick up a copy right now. Um, I mean, they're on Spotify and Bandcamp and everything like that as well. Um, They always put out great merch to Nosebleed. um, So do pick up an album, pick up some merch and... uh, Right now, we're going to play their brand new single called Lost and Found uh, from their forthcoming album on TNS Records. Check it out. When I thought we were going straight, you went and messed me round. You took my heart right from the side, you threw it on the ground. Take my soul, didn't let it go straight to the 
Hey, man, how's it going? Hey, I'm all right, Martin. How are you? No, I'm all good, man. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Yeah, no, no problem. I know it's a poetry podcast mainly, isn't it? That uh, was my worry. Well, you know, punk and poetry and, you know, everything in between. Yeah. That's right, yeah. That's yeah. It. If it's punk in it, it can't just be, you can't have it slamming down on some just poetry, just that, because that's not punk, is it? Well, yeah, and, you know. You know, you, I've got an. You, my audience is niche enough. Like, I'm not going to like <laughs> worry about like. You, you used to write some poetry, though. I did. I did. I wrote poetry in a long time, but it's something I do want to go back to at some point. Um, mm. Yeah, I do. I do like poetry, and I do. Yeah, did historically write it. So if what, you're a writer, you're a writer, aren't you? A lot of the times, you just write whatever you fancy at the time, and it goes in waves. Well, yeah, that, exactly that. You know, you, it's just like expression, isn't it, at the end of the day? Yeah. That's how I see it. Yeah. When was the last time you sort of were regularly writing poetry, do you think? It's always been in between stories, to be fair, when I've been writing poetry. It's never never, never been something that I've sat down with the intention to, of writing poems, to be honest. It's only been... When something either takes me in that kind of way or I'm sitting playing around with ideas... And it comes out as a poem. Mm. Um, yeah, I never, I never really aim to write a poem for some reason, but they do come out. It's a strange one. Yeah. Yes, it's, it's, it's like I, I guess it's just like finding whatever avenue suits whatever you need to say, right? Yeah, that's it. And sometimes you come up with a good line to start. It could be a line for a story. For example, you think it's a story, but then. It just takes you on a different journey. It takes it, it mm. ends up being more poetic. It ends up you just play. You want to play around with just one idea rather than go on a whole narrative sort of journey. So then the the poem form just sort of suits it more, doesn't it? I mean, I don't, I don't know about you, but I don't tend to plan unless it's a really long piece. I don't tend to really plan anything. I tend to like it to take me along the journey. Mm. It would the reader, even with a story, like I'll start with a character and a setting in mind, and then I'll just see how they react to some writing. I don't know if everyone can do that or everyone does do that, but I find if you plan stuff out too much, it becomes too formulaic and it just goes from start to end to get to your means mm. without the intricacies that you can get by just, right, let's see where this character takes me or let's see yeah. where this goes as you go in. Did you do you have like a sort of when it comes to like writing and stuff? Do you have like like a schedule or is it just like you sort of write when the idea hits you? Or it's more really when I've got time to be honest. <laughs> That's the thing. It's life, and, man. Uh, yeah, and I I generally find I'm not too bad with that. I can just sort of sit down, not think oh, I need to be inspired or something. I'll sit down, and eight times out of ten, I'd say I'll just start writing and something will come. I might read it a week later and it's shit, obviously. <laughs> but I can just keep writing there. Mm. Very rarely that I'll sit down to write and just not be able to. Mm. It does happen, but I don't know. I think when you try and force it, though, sometimes it, it can just be shit, can't it? Like It can, yeah. Yeah, and that's the key. You can write a lot of stuff and it comes out, but the key is to when you go back to it, knowing if it's worth saving or not. I think I think the more you do it though, it's like muscle memory, isn't it? It's like the more the more you write regularly, the more the better it is. Like if you if you yeah. if you sort of had a break or whatever, it's like it's harder to come back to it. 
you know yeah. it's like to compare it to like sports or whatever like if, you, if you're like a you know, like an athlete if you don't train in whatever you're doing like if you try and come yeah. back to it you know you're gonna you're gonna be fucked <laughs> and it's yeah. just, I, I think that's the same with writing yeah i think you're right and in the same way if, if you're coming back to it as an athlete after a break you'll probably you'll get back into it a lot quicker than someone who hasn't been the athlete before mm. but yeah you still need to get back into it don't you yeah, no, I've been sure. trying to play around with a certain kind of narrative voice or whatever, and I've got that voice in my head and I'm writing a lot with it. Then you take a break and you come back, and you've come to the plate with totally different. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. But it's quite nice in a way. It gives you a bit of variety without even meaning to. Mm. Yeah, no, absolutely. What, 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 so, like, when you're sort of working, like, you know, in day to day life, like, what, what happens though when you get, you know, like, you, you know you're just doing your job and you get like one of those like ideas and you're like oh this is like a great idea oh mate i get them all the time right because <laughs> I'm, I'm gardening as well and i'm on my own a lot of the time i do get a lot of time to think and i get all these ideas and i usually i just think that's a great idea i'll remember that yeah and then it's fucking gone yeah <laughs> and then all you remember is having the idea yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, no, I'm exactly the I same. I don't know what. Fooled every time, though. <laughs> <laughs> it's it, but, though. You think your memory's better than it is, right? Yeah, you do, yeah. And it, I mean, it won't be hard to just get your phone down and make a note or whatever, but no, every time. Yeah, no, I'm the same. I've started, like, using, like, because I'm, like, not that technologically advanced, but... I've started using the notes app on my phone. Like if I, if I come up with an idea or like a, even like a line or something, I'll just quickly try and like get it in the notes app so that at least yeah. if I see that notes app in like a few weeks or whenever I next sit down to write and I'm like, what, what the, f well, at least I've got that starting point. <laughs> I'm like, what the fuck was I thinking when I wrote that? Like, what does that, yeah. I don't even know what that means anymore. <laughs> I know, I know. It's like it's like the chrysalis, though. You know, it's like it's that like something. It's like this little spark that you need to. Get yeah, <laughs> definitely, definitely. I've got to start doing. It. I used to have when I was younger, and uh, I first started writing. I always used to have this little notepad that I, I used to carry around in a pen in like my inside pocket for that oh. reason, just to write it out and to be like a little pretentious fucking. Yeah, I'd just been reading like Jim Morrison's autobiography, <laughs> and he did it. So I was like, well, I'm fucking doing that then. That's cool. So <laughs> it was more for that than anything. But it it's quite handy. And like now I've even still got it so I can read back and like cringe at all the stuff I was writing <laughs> when I was 17 and I thought I was in. <laughs> so what, what are you writing these days? What's, what what you've been working on? Basically, I've been trying to work on a novel. Mm. And I've had, I've got one that I've written basically that's good to go. And that's all right. I've left that to one side. But the, this next one I've been working on, I've, I've got three different novel starts and I'm trying to work out now which one's the best to pursue, which will be the best. Mm. And, uh, I just keep sort of writing a little bit on each and it's sort of they're all going nowhere slowly. <laughs> so I've got to I've got to really work out what's what I'm doing with them. But each time I read them to think, is this any good? I end up adding a little bit and then I read yeah. the other ones and keep adding them. So. I don't know, they might all get done that way over about a 10-year period. <laughs> I always find that it's hard to, like, not self-edit, like, when you're writing, you know, like a long, like, you yeah. know, like a novel. I don't know, some famous writer said, what's it, it's, don't get it right, get it written. 
Right, is that the, is that the? I could do some tips if you've got any more of them. <laughs> I don't know, man. That's, that's just like an old. I don't know that like reverberates in my brain because I'm like a, I'm a, I'm quite a self editor when I'm when I'm writing. You know, like yeah, and 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 people, you know, they say that you shouldn't you shouldn't do that. Just get it down and then edit afterwards. But yeah, I'm I'm quite a self editor. How what's your process for sort of like writing? Well. The, for example, this other one, it's called The Warren. I'm, re I'm really scatty. I'm not very good at just being organised. So the way I approached it was I had this diagram with, like, circles and stuff like that. And it had, <laughs> yeah. like, three main things. And then I just took the characters and I basically would write short stories based on these characters to put in between. Mm. So there's not really any, it's not really a narrative like that. But then there's three main, these big circles, which are the big blocks, where all the action happens and the characters in the short stories are all together in that. So you've mm. sort of got these separate lives in short stories down into a main thing where they're all there. Then it separates again and goes back. And that's the sort of form it takes because my mind can deal with that. Mm. Whereas when it's all one continuation of a narrative, I... Uh, I don't know why. I'm just I'm not not organised enough. I don't think to deal with it. Yeah. But yeah, I ge I generally do a lot of editing as I'm going now. Yeah, and no, it's it's hard not to though, isn't it? You know. Yeah, yeah. I tell you, with this book that's coming out, uh, one thing that I found really difficult to begin with, but became really helpful in the end, is someone else editing your work and sending it back to you with all these red marks on and stuff and like suggesting getting rid of paragraphs that you thought were quite important and yeah stuff like it's, you really take it personally it's like, i mean i don't know if i'd be able to handle that to be fair it's hard what i'd used to what i did when uh, michael at tangerine he'd send it out and i'd sit there i'd read through it and i'd be swearing and fuming <laughs> and just like now nah, what's this and then i'd leave it come back a couple of days later when I calm down and take it seriously yeah, and then come to a proper decision. But I just let myself get really angry at the first one because it is so personal, I suppose. Of course, yeah. Yeah, it's like, you know, it's you've dredged it up from what, you know, from inside. Like, like it, yeah. Everything's personal when you're writing, right? It's hard not yeah. to. It's not, you know, you can't detach yourself from it. Yeah, that's it. So, great segue there in, into the... Uh, into the book that fell nicely didn't it yeah so tell tell me about it so the bygones coming out soon from tangerine press yeah um basically it's just a collection of short stories that i've written over the years that all seem to fall quite nicely into this collection so the theme is a lot of them have been out in publications already mm. but the theme is that they've all been written without knowing really with the same setting at the heart of it so it's set out as the bygones is a place uh, and you enter it, you spend time with the characters and you leave, basically. So that's the general loose concept of it. Mm. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I live in, it's an ex-mining village in Nottinghamshire. It's just out in the middle and you've got woods one side, you've got fields the other. It's sort of quite secluded and that sort of rural, more deprived sort of setting it's it's got its unique character and i did it is played in on tv and in books you do see it to some extent but it's, it's one of the lesser seen areas i think of the 
of our society. But there's so many interesting things. And I think because that remoteness and that cut-off sort of aspect, it makes these characters seem really over-the-top characters sometimes in the book. But mm. it's not. It's This is how it is out here. It's, the, yeah. it's a bizarre place. And then the other side of the book is there's the more sort of esoteric and like surreal elements that pop up, but they always they're in a very real setting and they go underplayed. So it's like, uh, it's just the, the whole atmosphere of the book, I suppose, is the atmosphere of living in these bizarre places that mm. are everywhere in the UK. So sort of the, the location is almost a, like a character in itself. Yes. And I've always been into works that's like that. That's, that is one of the main selling points for me. It's the characters, all, I mean, the setting's almost a character in a mm. book. I'm interested in there. Yeah. And that's the basics of it. Anyway, yeah, you, you might have even read a couple of them because I know we've sort of gone side to side in the literary world for a long time, haven't we? Mm. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. I mean, I was um, working on some stuff this morning of, you know, I realised that paper and ink is going to be 10, 10 next year. I was like, yeah. fucking a decade mad in it and i remember getting the first issue of paper and ink actually i'm sure it was the first one mm. i think we were i think we and on our hand job zine i think we were i think we might have been on our second by that time but there weren't much in it either yeah way. so then let's let's go back then let's go right back to our sort of history i guess of uh of how how, how we know each other um yeah, so yeah 10 I'm, years 10, 10 fucking years that's a long time like so i i started paper and ink in well sort of the idea in in it sort of chrysalis i guess in around 2012 sort of put the first issue out in 2013 because for me it was like uh i felt like there wasn't really any sort of working class you know literature accessible f- that time i don't know how i was don't know that how your you... reason behind it is that was that your like what made you start it i always find this interesting it was i guess it really was and i was quite into you know punk and stuff like that so i was very into like punk zines and stuff and it, you know even 10 years ago you know we're talking what 2012 punk zines were not like a popular thing you know but i was yeah living in brighton and and there was a few punk zines in brighton and i i i liked the format and i felt you know obviously it's such an accessible sort of format for it but and then did i was you know there were, sorry did you know there were literary zines at that time already or well that's that's going... sort of that's sort of why I, why i went that's the sort of avenue that i went down in that i i was into zines but I, there was nothing literary that i could find at that time yeah yeah and i remembered like sort of in terms of literature and stuff like that i was like in my early 20s, like, sort of big into, like, Bukowski and stuff, as most men in yeah. their early 20s, you know, if you're into <laughs> literature, will will be into. Yeah. And I remember, you know, reading stuff about, you know, like, he'd be into these, like, underground newspapers and, like, journals and stuff, you know, in LA yeah. and all that. And I just remember thinking, like, well, there's nothing, there's nothing like that going on at the moment. Like, what? Yeah. So that was sort of my go like that was my like avenue into it was in like i was into punk and i like zines there was nothing i felt yeah. that 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 matched up with those two things so that was sort of where i came to it from yeah well we uh, 
pretty similar, really. But the thing was, I'd started writing and sending some stories out and that. And then it decided to start buying all the, the bigger literary mags to just have, a, you know, the proper mags. Mm. have a look see what's going off thinking right let's see what kind of scenes are going off what interesting writing and i just got them all and i thought this writing is all boring shit like, yeah and the magazines are just like dead boring and i was a bit like you i was into going to punk gigs and i was into and yeah reading about the old writers and how they had the scenes and stuff going off and all the diy stuff mm. and i've always you know i've always been a skateboarder so you're naturally in that DIY world. Yeah. You go out and you make everything yourself. So that was it. We were just like me and so far. Like, she's got the design skills. I wouldn't have been able to do anything without her. <laughs> and, and I was just into the writing. So we fucking just did it. <laughs> mm. And I don't think, I don't think Sophie was, I'm sure, but I wasn't even aware that zines were a thing and that people mm. were making their own, stuff but i was just like yeah we'll just do it anyway yeah just obvious really there's no nothing interesting going off so let's make somewhere where stuff interesting can happen that's and it that's sort of the same thing with the launch nights when we started doing them because i'd gone to some lit like literary things and that and they were so like formal and dull and people mm. reading and that and it's like fucking hell man why can't you make this like a gig or like something fun? So that's what we always tried to do with that, and they really took off, to be fair. Yeah, no, that that's exactly the same position I came into it from. You know, I, I was, there was nothing out there that, that I wanted to read. Yeah. So I was like, well, fuck it. I'll just make, you know, I'll just make whatever I want to read, and if other people want to read it too, then fucking happy days. Well, that's the age-old thing, isn't it? If you're into it, so the chances are someone else is going to be. Yeah. And, and you know, and like me and you, we, you know, I'm from fucking South, you know, complete South coast. You're from, you know, the Midlands, completely different, yeah. different worlds really. But then we both at the same time had the same sort of similar idea to start something. And then, and then 10 years later, now we're sat here fucking talking on zoom. It's mad in it. <laughs> it's fucking crazy. <laughs> Yeah. So, so tell me about handjob then, because I really loved their handjob, man. Like I've got, I've got, I've still got all, all of the issues <laughs> of handjob, man. Yeah, handjob. It was well, it started as you'll know. It was a proper cut and paste job. We just printed stuff off the printer. We made like these prototype books in physical form with everything just stuck on. We even tried to double sort. Like we used to run the tape round in a circle to try and push the paper out so that you get more of a shadow, you know, where the yeah. actual cut and paste was and all these just like stupid and we're not stupid, but all these little things that we try and do to make it look even more handmade and more mm. cool. And then we just put it in, we had a shit printer with a scanner on top <laughs> and we just put it in that and you'd do one page like 20, 30 of them and then you put it in a pile and the next one you need then we'd sell them by and it was a right ordeal to get them all done, but it's a labour of love, isn't it? Absolutely. And then, bit by bit, it just started getting a little bit more advanced or whatever you'd call it, a little bit more professional until the 10th issue where it was, it wasn't professional in like a magazine kind of way, but we used to go to Dizzy Ink then where they'd risograph print it so it looked quite cool yeah. in a different way. And yeah, it just, 
we had lots of stuff in there that some of the stuff in the early issues we were trying to be a bit more anarchist and a bit more shock for shock's value. Mm. And uh, I don't know if some of the things stood the test of time. <laughs> I'm not going to bring up particularly. Have, have you have you looked have you looked back over any of them like recently? Uh, not re- well, within a couple uh, about a couple of years ago, I had a look through them, and yeah, there's some of, uh, it. Some of it you'd be a bit like, "Oh, I'm glad we haven't put that out now." Yeah, some <laughs> of, so yeah, that's fair. I mean, I've never really looked back over mine, like over yeah. paper and ink, but with the ten year coming up, and obviously because I know you guys sort of stopped after ten, but yeah, I've sort of you know I've been sort of carrying on this whole time you know sporadically you know when i sort of wanted to do it not like setting any deadlines or anything like that but where it's coming up for 10 years i was like I'm, i'll probably you know i'll probably do like a like a 10 year retrospective you know best of the first 10 years and and what that so yeah. i'm gonna it's it's prompted me now to start looking through the the back issues and it's oh it's quite quite an experience <laughs> Yeah, I bet it is, man. I mean, that's a cool thing. I think did Push do that and Open Pen? I think they did one like mm. that. It's a really good idea, I think. It, it's it's a uh, and for them people who get in it as well to have that. It's it's a uh, it's a great object, really, to commemorate it all. What do you think? Looking back at yours, though, were you ha- you happy with everything? Yeah, I mean, in, in in honesty, it's it's sort of you sort of I, I sort of look back at back at it with like quite a bit of pride. Like it's like yeah, you know, it's I don't know, it's like um, it's always been a labour of love, and it's you know, like w- when you've been doing it for ten years, it's like uh, you sort of you uh, you know, without wanting to like pat yourself on the back, it's like actually, I, I you know, it's quite an achievement to to be Big time. to be doing it. Yeah, it isn't just a. Uh, you've been there. You've been putting all the people's work out for people to. You know what I mean? You've been a. In a way, you're doing a, a service in a lot of ways. I know where some people can get funny about not being paid for the writing and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, we all do it because we love it. That's you're writing because you love it. Mm. You're putting. You're making the zines because you love it. No one. No money needs to be involved. Let's not taint it. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, yeah, it's not, you're never going to get rich from making a scene, but you're never, exactly, you're probably, like, you're, if anything, you're going to be at a detriment after, yeah. after making a zine. Like, you know. <laughs> yeah. I had one person come to the launch night and they, they were saying, can we get, can you get paid for coming to launch night? And I'm like, well, no, we can't pay. We've got no budget or anything. You can come. You don't have to. Yeah. Oh, well, can I get, and then, when they got to the launch night, they'll be in dead funny about not getting paid and stuff. And like, I've, I've told you this scenario, you don't, you didn't have to come. Yeah. It's like, You've we're chosen to be it. Yeah. yeah, no one's making any money here. It's just, mm. we're all doing it for the laugh. But I don't know, it's different perspectives, I suppose. And do you remember, do you remember like when you sort of first started going with the first few issues and that, how you sort of, how you got writers involved in it? Because I remember like, what, my yeah. first few issues like i really i struggled to get people to send stuff in and that and i remember you like you i think you actually put the word out to a few of the people that were involved in your one and then they you know submitted some stuff to me so you re- you actually really helped me out with the first few issues because i think it was a bit of a struggle to sort of get the word out there do you remember how like you sort of 
found yeah. like the, the the first few sort of people that were involved in yours yeah well uh, there was a there was i think there was one or two people that we knew already that we got involved that was all right mm. but then the rest we went to we used i don't know did you use this site we make zines i think i remember it, it was like a social like a social media just for people that made zines wasn't it yeah, and it was like forums and that, and there was actually a literary section on that that no one used apart from <laughs> us, I think. Right. And uh, we put ads out. We used to make posters for submissions, mm. uh, like you still do now. But, yeah, we put them on this We Make Zines, and we actually got quite a few. We got a, quite a few submissions off of there, and we used to get illustrators off there as well. And we used to, mm. in the early shoes try and get illustrators to illustrate the stories which actually worked quite well but turned out later on down the line it turned out hard to get illustrators willing to do that for no money yeah but at the start for some reason when we were smaller we got some great illustrators to do that i don't ask me how but yeah that we make zines and then after that i don't really know where we want where it went with it it just i think yeah that, i guess at a certain point it gets become sort of word of mouth and and, yeah, you know, it sort of it it promotes itself to a certain extent. Yeah, you get the age-old thing though, don't you? Where everyone follows it and everyone submits to it and everything, but the percentage of people that buy a copy—that's mm. the—that's the one disheartening thing I found. Every oh. as soon as your submissions are out, everyone wants to be a part of it. Yeah, as soon as they get the contributor copy, they're loving it. But as soon as anyone has to buy anything yeah they're not interested that's it so that's exactly it if if the amount of people that submitted bought it it would sell out yeah. in, in minutes <laughs> it would it would exactly and then when we went on to low light and ivis and stuff we're producing really high quality magazines by that point yeah and still and i personally thought them magazines were better than any other of the proper magazine literary ones out there. We yeah. had photography, we had the store. These, the literature was of a high quality, in my opinion. It's obviously subjective. but uh, And it was interesting with articles and stuff and interviews that other people weren't having, like interviews with book prize winners and stuff like that. But still, people weren't buying it, and it was really disheartening. We did get into a lot of shops because mm. it looked better. And... It did sell, but you just thought there'd going to be a bit more of a buzz about it. But yeah. those, you're always going to think that when it's you that's created it, aren't you? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard, though, isn't it? I guess, you know, when you sort of go to that next level of trying to go a bit bigger, you know, yeah. it's it, you know, it's hard to, you know, you still got to get people to part with their money, haven't you? I think, yeah, I think when you get to that stage, the real... The real key is you need to get someone to do who knows about it to do either marketing or PR or whatever it's called. Yeah. Uh, or like a uh, what do they call it? It's the di distributor or something like that. Um, when you're doing zines, you're all right because you you do your limited amount. And you know you can mm. sell them. But when you start in printing, like we were printing like 400 issues or something like that, you really need a bigger. You need someone who knows what they're doing, basically. Yeah, and we just didn't have the time to do that. I suppose. Yeah. yeah, no, that's that's fair. And you put out like a few books and stuff with Five Is, right? Yeah, some great books that um, we had. Billy and the Devil by Dean Lilliman that had already been out on other 
publishers, but mm. it was such a great book, and Dean wasn't happy with the publishers. He felt it wasn't representing it right because it is more of a book that has that kind of ethos behind it. It's a bit sort of a bit experimental, but a bit gritty. It's about an alcoholic struggling, and uh, he thought it fit better with us, so he took it back from the publisher, who were a proper publisher, and did it with us for better or worse. And then we had Miggy Angel's collection. I still mm. think one of the greatest poets around at the minute. It's criminal that he's not been uh, signed to some big poetry agency. But uh, we did a re it was quite nice, a special. We had a box with foil block letters on and the two poet. We had a, a collection that was split into two books. So it mm. had a volume one and volume two in this box. And there was the paperback full edition as well that was... Uh, obviously more affordable but this really special foil block box that was something i don't know unique but the thing is that we're trying to do something different with it all every time that was the thing because yeah. we're doing it ourselves we're not just churning books out you try and take a bit more time and show the respect to the work that you think it should have because at the end of the day if something's presented better it, you read it with a different oh this is this must be important. Look how it's in a box with two editions. <laughs> but if the work deserves it, and if you're on a smaller press, you've got the freedom to do that. But also, if you can't reach them a massive readership, what you can do then instead is you can provide them with really something special that's been published. So it's one of them. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, that. I mean, like you say there, like just those two books alone, that, I mean... We, you guys were what funding this yourself with uh, with high viz yeah completely self-funded any money we made just went back into it it was uh, yeah it was just all labor of love we we never got any money out of it obviously mm. and it just for pure joy but at that time of our lives we had a bit of time to spend and we were renting a house so we didn't have housework and all this stuff to do and it was just, it fell so we could pursue all this. But, you know, you get a bit older and you get a mortgage and then you've got stuff you've got to do because the yeah. only house you can afford is an old shithole and this, <laughs> <laughs> that and the other. And you just, at the minute, we haven't got time to do stuff like that. But we might come back to it, you never know. It's just the way life takes you, isn't it? I mean, do you, do you miss that side of it? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely do miss it. Um, I'm one of these people as well who, when something you've decided something's over, that's it. You get on, go on to the next thing. Yeah, so yeah. I do miss it, but it's next chapter of life. I guess that gave you as well more time to focus on your own writing as well. Yeah, yeah, that's the bonus of it, really. Because mm. um, when you're working full time, anything that takes up a lot of time after that, is your main <laughs> is going to be what you're mainly doing when yeah. you're not working. So you have to prioritise. Absolutely, and and that sort of leads us on, I guess, nicely to to where you are now. I guess with your new book coming out. Yeah, yeah, it's a. I'm so happy to have it on Tangerine Press. I've got to say this because I don't know about you. Have you uh, have you had any Tangerine publications in the past? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. They are lovely, lovely books to have. Like I said, with the smaller publication thing, 
he does the hardback special editions that I could never afford, but hopefully I'll get one of my own. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, yeah, you don't say. Yeah. I know, with the limited edition artworks in and signed and signed by the artist as well. And we interviewed him for Low Light, and that was the first time I went to his workshop and had a look around, and he's got these shelves full of, like, these photos that he's obviously that he's made and like the photo books of Richard Brautigan and this, that and the other. And they're all really special items. So yeah. that side of it, I think it's great to be involved with. And I can't wait to see what he's produced because I haven't seen any physical copies yet. Oh, but also man. the roster that you're on the bill with, he's published William Burroughs. I mean, <laughs> like I say, a photo book of Richard Brautigan. Yeah. Uh, William Yeah. Wantling and Guffin and, you know what I mean? You're up. This, the, the caliber is absolutely fantastic. So I can't believe it. And you know what, how we got um, acquainted originally was a, a Joe Ridgewell launch thing that I'd come down for for one reason or another. Mm. And I offered him a hand job. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> the zine, I take it. Me. Yeah, well, yeah, but I was going around going, do you want an hand job, mate? <laughs> You know what I mean? It's a sort of uh, Laura men <laughs> thinking I was a little rent boy. But the thing is, he never forgot that. And uh, we sort of did keep in touch vaguely. And then we'd had that interview and everything. So I think that's how he was aware of me writing more than anything. If I hadn't offered him a hand job, <laughs> I might not have this book out. So there's what, what a life lesson. <laughs> Yeah, there's a tip for aspiring writers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Offer publishers a handjob. Yeah, actually. Say it, like, scrap that. <laughs> <laughs> but no, but, I, mean, I mean, obviously, you know, that's paid dividends, really. You know, that's, that's half of writing isn't like as much as it's uh, a solitary act. You know, you've got a network yeah. as well. You've got to met, put yourself out there and... Yeah, especially if you want to be part of a community. It's like I've gone down for that Joe Ridgewell night because I was quite interested in his work. I had a mate who lived nearby, so I went and stopped with him. And it's just like if you're willing to do those kind of things mm. just on the off the cuff, then you're going to meet some interesting people and you just follow your nose with stuff that you like. If there's something going off to do with it, the people there are always going to be into it, aren't they? So Yeah, yeah. It's networking's a horrible word like a business word but that's yeah. what it is in a way but it's just hanging out with people who like the same thing as you essentially when you put it realistically yeah when you break it down that's that's what it is i mean you know that's one of the reasons i've been doing this scene for 10 years like it's just the the people that i've met through doing it like yourself a, a you know a great example of that like you know we fucking never would have met like if it weren't for, exactly. the, for this do you know what i mean like Exactly. And um, back on the book, I've got, there's all a few things that are good with it. We've got this limited edition artwork with Julia Sublimpia. I can't remember how it's pronounced, but it's an amazing artwork. She's a brilliant artist and it really catches the atmosphere of the book. Mm. But the other thing that I've got to mention that is I've been bragging to everyone about because I cannot believe it is DBCPA, the author, Booker Prize winner, whose work was one of Vernon Godlittle was one of the books that got me into writing because I mm. thought this is so good I can write I want to write just like this. He had a copy of the bygones, he read it, loved it, and provided us with a quote to 
suppose, help us promote it. But the fact that someone that you admire that mm. that much and that you never think would read your writing reads it, no, nah, that's the day to remember. I yeah, was, man. I got an email off Michael, but that morning, I had a worse morning. It was raining. I went to my van, opened the door, and a painting fell out and went all over me, all over the floor. <laughs> oh, no. I had to go and pick up this blooming nail gun, and I forgot all my ID and everything like that. And it was a nightmare. But in the shop, I got this email pinged up off Michael, DBCPA quote on your book and all this. And I was like, fucking hell, that's that's it. That's just, you know what I mean? Everything's going wrong, but I don't care now. That is the yeah. best news. It's unbe- it, unbelievable is the only word. I can't believe that someone like that's read it. But I suppose everyone's, we're all just people, aren't we, at the end of the day? I'm not one to get this uh, cult of celebrity thing. I'm not bothered one bit but then when something like that happens it changes you <laughs> well you know you, you know that's it though it, it, you pay forward don't you you know in in 10 years time jim you'll be writing a blurb for someone who will be fucking over the moon to get you on on their book well i suppose that's the thing isn't it if you do it if you do go on to make it after that if you can remember stuff like that then yeah, that's what will make you a better person. <laughs> but that's it, you get know. That it's, manuscript. You know, it's a, you know, yeah. you, you get out of it what what you put into it, don't you? At the end of the day, like, yeah, yeah. And I suppose it's only logical that someone whose work you really like is going to like your work in a way, unless you're writing very bad, obviously, yeah. because you're going to be you're into it because you want to write similar things. So. Mm. No, absolutely, and because uh, I remember you, you had a, a a chat book with Tangerine Press, didn't you? Like before the before the book. Yes, yeah. And yeah, is that is, was... that is that what led to the the book? Or yeah, definitely that was a start to it. Um, I I'd put some, um, I'd sort of gave up that the short stories weren't going to be published and stuff. So I'd I'd put a blog up mm. online and just put like four stories on it to start off with and I thought what I'll do is I'll drop a story on every now and then and I'll just see what happens with it. I put these first stories up and then Michael comes in my inbox, take them stories down I want to do a collection on this Walking Wounded series like alright, oh, so that, that worked alright. <laughs> yeah, uh, fucking hell. Yeah, so took some stories on and uh, yeah, it sold really well mm. got a lot of good feedback and from that he just I think James Kelman said he really liked it, which was which was probably helpful for me. Yeah, and then yeah, the book we've been we've been working on the book for quite a while now, back and forth. Hmm. Uh, but it's it's here. It's going to be. I'm sure he's got the physical copies now, so I should get a copy soon to have a look at it. Oh, but, mate, I bet you. Uh, it's going to be surreal, like when you get that through, though, right? Yeah, it is, and it's like going on. People have been asking me, where can I get it? And I'm like, oh, you can just pre-order it on Waterstones if you want and send <laughs> them a link to Waterstones. Yeah. And I'm like, I could send them a link to Tangerine site and it probably would be better to do that. But, you know, people who don't aren't really into yeah. books. And I know exactly charges, what you mean, yeah. You send them a link to Waterstones and That's they're like, real, no yeah. way. That's legit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 100% know where you're coming from with that. Like, you know, Tangerine Press. If you if you're into literature on you know in, in this scene, you know you know what that is. You know you know what that means. Yeah. 
but everyone knows what Waterstones is. <laughs> exactly. Everyone thinks I'm playing at it until I say I'm in Waterstones. <laughs> and they're like, oh, no, this is serious here. Don't matter. Yeah, man. So when, yeah, when, but... when you sort of walk into like Nottingham Waterstones and see your book there on the shelf, that's going to be a... That is that's going to yeah. be a moment, isn't it? Well, they definitely will, because it, obviously it's online. The shops all decide what they have and that. And now mm. Michael sent out his stuff to try and see if people want to buy it and stuff. But if not, there'll be a copy there anyway, because Sophie went in and ordered <laughs> a copy into the shop. Right, right. That she's never going to pick up. So <laughs> that will go on the shelves anyway. So there will be at least one. <laughs> tactics. <laughs> oh, that's so good man it's great to see as well because you know just seeing like from my own perspective of, of things as well i remember publishing i think it was a short story of yours when you were just going by your initials jeg oh yeah you know yeah. when you first started putting the you know submissions out and stuff so well you know it was, it's, i suppose it's like what you and Gwil talked about last time it's one of them things where you don't come when you don't come from a background where people do stuff like that people don't just write and stuff it's hard to be confident with it and that jeg thing was just like a defense mechanism like yeah i don't want people to know i'm writing short stories i don't want people to read it and know that it was me yeah you know what i mean but as you get into it you loosen up and you start thinking oh, you what people think but exactly at yeah. first it's at first you're like i'm a weirdo what am i doing <laughs> that sort of thing is like a defense mechanism but also like just the actual process of writing is like uh, for me it's like you know i've i've got a boring day job you know but like you know the zine and the writing and stuff that's that's what that's what motivate you know that's what gets me through yeah. you know through the day you know it's not yeah yeah you know that's the, you know that is that's, that's what it's all about you know it's just about expressing yourself and and you know own own it you know you're, you're a great writer that's it. It's uh, I mean, it's different people, I suppose. I've historically, I've sort of, I've been a person who's lacking confidence. So, I suppose that's if someone was a more confident person in the same position, they wouldn't have been like that. It's just my little. It's a defence mechanism, but only because I'm insecure, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you, you know, you've got you've got no backing out of it now. In no, I'm all right with it big now. Big old Jimmy you Waterstones. Get, yeah, well, you get, I'm bloody, what, I'm a 31 now. You don't <laughs> care what people think when you get older. It, it's when you're younger. But I don't know. It, I suppose, is, is writing a working class pastime or a middle class pastime, I mean? Or is that just a stereotype? What would you say? Because working class people, do you think they re genuinely read? That's a good question for you. I mean, it is, it, it is, isn't it? It's a, it's a good question. And it, 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 I think it's a hard one as well, because um, I think a lot a lot of it as well is, is to what would have, like, oppress people from reading is just, again, like, stereotypes, isn't it? Like, yeah. oh, I'm a, you know, I'm a, I'm a man, I don't read, or, you know, like, I'm a, whatever job you do, you know, it's like, you, you, you would sort of almost stop yourself from doing something even if you wanted to do it you know just because yeah you... yeah and then there's the other side i suppose as well like i when i had less on i'd watch really gritty dark arty films that were really depressing and bleak and that but 
but as life got tougher and my jobs got shitter and stuff like that, I needed escapism. So if if someone who's working shitty in a care room or in a factory or what whatever comes home to read as well, the mm. thing is they're not going to be reading the kind of stuff we're writing. They're going to read crime or fantasy or something to get them away from the reality. Yeah, escapism, yeah. Yeah, which is the other side. I don't know how we'll come on to this, really. I've just written an article, funnily enough, about ch- challenging working class stereotypes because I don't know about you, but I don't. I disagree with the working class, not disagree with the working class label I'm writing, but I don't like it because it pigeonholes you a little bit and it puts you in this, you're either writing Kez or Football Factory kind of thing. <laughs> it's, there's loads of people expect a certain kind of thing and it's uh, it's like it it almost degrades it in a way it's saying like you're a bit of a novelty rather than mm. proper writing you know uh, what do you think well i don't know i've always i've always had that like i guess i guess it again it's like a defense mechanism of like anything that's not working class i'll i'll disregard it without looking at it you know, so I, yeah. I've, I guess I've always been so far the other way that anything that's anything that's on the other side, you know, mainstream or popular or anything like that, I'm like immediately I'll sack it off without even really considering it. So yeah. I guess it's I guess it's it's it, yeah, it's it's hard. I guess it's you know it's hard like to. Um, to be impartial, I guess, and just take art for what it is. But I don't know. I don't know what the answer is, really. Yeah. Yeah. You there's know? no right or wrong. It's all just... That's the beauty of all of this. It's There's no right or wrong with any of it, I suppose. No, exactly. And it's, you know, it's like any art form, isn't it? You know, music, you know, film... Well, you wouldn't have a working class artist, would you? That wouldn't be like the genre of their art wouldn't be working class art, like painting. Yeah, because no, it's nothing exactly. to do with it. Like with the right when they say working class literature, you're like, oh, that's so that's a genre because I've got a low income, I fall into this lower genre. Is that what you're saying? Are you trying to? Yeah, I don't know. It feels a bit degrading. I mean, yeah. it's all right if you self-employ that, I suppose, and you want to be that, but. Uh, I don't know. I think it takes away possibilities if you if you just just a working class writer, I suppose. Yeah, no, that's than... actually a really good point. Yeah, no, I've never yeah. really, I've never really thought about it from because I've always wanted to be, you know, underground. You know, even you know to your own to my own detriment. You know, like uh, mm. again, you know, punk and all that. You know, anti-authoritarian. Yeah. So I've always wanted to be, you know, less, you know, that that yeah, yeah. marginalised. But I guess what you know, it's bullshit, really. So it's all bullshit. Yeah, it's the same thing with like I don't know, supporting women in literature. Would you have like saying, "Oh, this is," I don't know, women can have this sort of space rather than just integrating it properly. I suppose that's the kind of thing, like, we're working class. Oh, this is working class. It's got that working class space. No, but why can't it just be a part of the broader yeah. thing? So, I don't know. It's all it's all up there, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's a tough conversation, you know? 
I know I shouldn't have brought it up because I've had a couple of beers and I can't really. I've I've had <laughs> I've had far too many beers for this conversation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll go go on skip. <laughs> so let's talk about let's talk about um let's talk about punk. So this is the Punk and Poetry podcast. Yeah, man. And I know you're partial to a little bit of uh punk yourself. What 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 what? Uh, how is music uh playing into all this? Do you, do you listen to a lot of music? Yeah, I do listen to a lot of music, very eclectic, broad range of music, but I do, I've always loved punk, like, my go-tos would sort of be like your Poison Idea and your Gangrene, sort of more the American hardcore punk, really, mm. but I do like everything, Subhumans, your more UK-based stuff, the old Crass and shit like that, but generally a really eclectic music, I listen to like, folk and country one day and then i'll have black metal and fucking power violence next day <laughs> it, it don't really matter to me I, I listen to anything but when i'm writing i don't know about you i cannot write with anything with lyrics on and i've heard other people say this before but the lyrics are just words are too distracting so i tend to put stuff on like blooming philip glass and some like you know like new content new classical music uh, mm. Illuvium or whatever it's called and hammock and stuff like that stuff that I wouldn't really necessarily listen to before but I actually got really into it and now I'll listen to it sometimes when I'm just out at work or whatever which is strange but it just them kind of classical works especially the new ones because I don't know they've just got something else to them Mm. it just sets what it does well I think is it sets an atmosphere so when you're writing, there's no words interacting with your brain, right. but you've got like an atmosphere to work from. Now mm. these atmospheres are always quite bleak and, <laughs> <laughs> and stuff like that. So uh, be careful. Like if you're writing a happy story, I won't necessarily <laughs> put it on, but it works for my writing. No, that's that's that. Yeah, like you know, everyone everyone has a different process for that kind of stuff don't they like i'm like um if i'm like reading like i can't i can't listen to like any music at all like i have to have if like if i'm just reading a book or whatever i have to have like complete yeah. silence but if i'm writing yeah. like I, I i think i have two two different processes like if it's poetry if that i'm writing or prose then i'll like if i'm working on a bigger like a novella or a novel or whatever like i'll i'll normally like make myself a little playlist like a you know think like songs that will thematically relate to what i'm writing or stuff oh, like that yeah so i'll make like a little like a you know like spotify playlist or whatever and then i'll just listen to that on repeat as i'm writing oh that's interesting mm. but then it's it's weird though because it's like it, it you know it doesn't always help but it's it's nice to have it as like a, a backup you know like yeah. If you need a bit of inspo, I would like listen to the the playlist of whatever piece I'm working on, sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, and I think music like sort of more folk music and that. If you can sit, you can sit and listen to the stories. They can be quite inspiring sometimes, because obviously a lyric like for a song is going to be more poetic. I end up picking up one sort of bit of imagery out of that that really mm. sticks with me. And then taking it and running with it within a story or a poem myself, you can just like I don't know something's happening with the river or something in a folk song. There are always rivers in them. And you're just like, <laughs> right, I like that. <laughs> I 
I'm going to take that river and I'll start it off. Oh, the river did something like that. And then sometimes you'll end up taking it out, but it's gave you that entry point, which is quite good. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I get a lot of inspiration from music. Like, I'll, I'll often, you know, like, I'll, I'll just, I really like a, like a title of a song, like, and, you know, riff off of that. Or, you know, it's like, for me, it's like, it's very much linked, you know, to, to my mm. creative processes, like, uh, like you know music everything's embedded in music really like that's 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 where my creative juices get fired up you know when with listening you, to music do you sometimes think you should have just been in a band and wrote songs 100% 100% <laughs> i mean literally like like it's just going back to what what we were talking about at the start like with, when i started paper and ink i wanted to start a punk scene but I didn't really know. I didn't feel like I knew enough about punk, but what I did know about was was literature. So that's why I started a literary zine. Like, I was well, a really, I, I really wanted to start a punk scene. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we both come into it from a uh, screenwriting point of view. Did I not? Re- do I not remember that? Yeah. No. Yeah. Hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. I tell you, I've got an interesting story with that that I've kicked myself about now. When I when I'd finished uni, I had the I wrote this script about uh, basically a young boy finds this this dog and he takes it on. Say young boy about thirteen or whatever, and he's hanging out with his mates, and his mate's big brother does like this dog fighting and that, and he he ends up getting pressured into taking this dog dog fighting and stuff. And it, I was really happy with it. It's a good script, but it went the. Channel 4 used to do this thing where they uh, took 30-minute scripts off people and they did like a series of them, like introducing new screenwriters, new directors and stuff. Yeah, yeah, no, I remember that, yeah. I can't remember what it's called now, but I applied for that and I got down from like 800 entrants to the last like 25 or something and I got invited to the big the Big Apple to London on to offices on Baker Street. <laughs> this was straight after leaving uni. I didn't even know Baker Street was a real thing. I thought it was just on Sherlock Holmes. And I'm there at Baker Street, and they're going, oh, we really like it and stuff, but uh, it's going to cost a lot to make, and we ain't got the budget that much. Do you think there's any uh, way we can make it a bit more affordable? And mm. I just sat there for some reason. I went, no, I'm not having you change my script. <laughs> I went, no, that's how it is. Take it or leave it sort of thing, thinking I'm the absolute big man. I've just come out of uni. I'm, I'm the best writer. I'm here at Channel 4 already. And they just sort of went, oh, well, See uh, we can't do anything then. <laughs> Let me go. And after that, I just like, I'm like, why did I do that? And then, yeah, nothing for years. And then, screenwriting as well it's so inaccessible really you can make little films yourself can't you and stuff mm. but you know to really get into it that was like my one chance and all i had to say was yeah yeah we can we we can work something yeah. out but instead i just like nah fuck that you're not you're not messing my script <laughs> that's hilarious to be fair like do you think do you, like do you, is that like a regret for you or like are you sort of happy that you um, went that route I don't. I don't really do regrets like that. I'm not. I don't regret it. I think it's funny. But if it was to happen now, I'd have took a different approach. Yeah, I would have. <laughs> I would have sucked a cock to get that made, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Basically. So, 
don't know. I thought I I was mint at the time. I like, I don't need Channel 4. But that's it, though. (laughs) You get, get, like, if you get, like, a a big opportunity like that, you sort of, you just, I guess you just think, like, loads more opportunities will will present themselves. Well, it just happened straight away. So, yeah, I was like, this is easy. Mm. (laughs) No. Yeah. No, I'd, I've I've always meant to turn that into a short story as well, and never have because I really <laughs> like the the story. But I kind of I kind of like that you've not done anything with it though. Like just <laughs> just fuck Channel Four, like let it fester. <laughs> yeah, well, I I'm in no position to have made it myself. <laughs> it would have cost a fortune. <laughs> yeah. No, because I I did like screenwriting at, at uni. Like that was sort of <laughs> my fucking worthless degree that I've got. You know, and I, yeah. I, you know, a few people from uni, you know, we made like a couple of short films after that, and that. And it's just with script. I found like with screenwriting, it's such a like when you write a screenplay, what you're writing is like a blueprint for someone else to make that into something else. Yeah. yeah. So I think that's what sort of really ultimately turned me off from it is is that when I sort of got into you know poetry or prose or what have you, it's like. You've, you've then got like a definitive thing like if i write a poem like that's that's the poem that's the finished poem yeah and then and i can put that out there and same with you know with a story or a novel or whatever i just found like with screenwriting it was such a transitory thing it was like you're just you're just writing a blueprint for someone else to interpret like i found that yeah, really what, hard what i yeah what i found moving from one to the other was I took the short stories basically as screenplays and it was all direct action and it was like he did this, he did that speech, you know what I mean? It was mm. very much a screenplay in a story form to begin with uh, and it was all about the story for me. But as time went on, I started realising like this medium's got so many more things that you can utilise than the screenwriting as in the film because you're just seeing what... like the voice of in the head and like, yeah. you know, so many other things playing with, I don't know, more postmodern elements, the more surreal things. It's really easy to slip from one to the other. And I just, and for me, that is the main joy of writing stories now is playing like using it more experimental sort of devices. And even the way you space words out and the way it looks on the page and stuff like that, yeah. it's become a real real joy but at first i was just because the screenwriting is literally just the story isn't it yeah nothing more to it action speech that's it yeah no it's it's, it is i found it really hard to transition into like uh you know writing prose and stuff like after studying screenwriting for you know three years i found it a a real difficult transition but i think poetry was like the bridge between the two so when i started writing poetry it was just like uh telling little stories you know yeah. that that leads to to more with with prose writing i guess yeah well poetry it's sort of like obviously freeing because it's quite different you know a poem's different from a, a script but a story in a script is in your head before you work out the differences you're like well these are the same thing just on a different layout yeah but then they're completely not really when you look look at <laughs> when you get into them i suppose Cool. Well, thanks so much for coming on the podcast, Jim. No problemo. I hope it sounds all right when you've sorted it all out.
No worries, man. <laughs> what well, I hope you, I hope you, the bygones sells as well as I imagine it will do. Well, thank you very much. You can get a copy in Waterstones. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be ordering it into my local Waterstones in Hastings. So yeah, order two and then leave one there. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll order. I'm gonna order five and then I'll come back to pick them up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then order one off the we- the publisher website. Yes, Tangerine yeah. Press. Yes, Tangerine Press. Yeah, no, best publisher oh, in the world. Absolutely, man. It's been great speaking to you. Yeah, you too, mate. And hopefully we'll speak again soon. Yes, um, and you got your book launch as well in the Chameleon but- Cafe in Nottingham. Yeah, the Chameleon Cafe, where we used to do all our other stuff. It's on the 29th of October from 6.30 onwards, if I remember right. Free entry, but donations are welcome to pay for the supporting artists. We've got, this is my spiel, I haven't practiced this, believe it or not. We've got (laughs) Miggy Angel, the Shaman Bard of Nottingham, originally from London, but we'll save Nottingham because we've been here long enough. (laughs) And Mark Van Vesey, who's a interesting musician from down bristol way and he's playing this thing it's called the caterpillar and the fly and it takes blake's poetry and he's put it to music and it's absolutely fantastic and he has projections on it and it's going to be great that is and then it's just me that that sounds great yeah thought i'd get that in there no absolutely man well i hope that I hope the launch night goes as wild as the old hand job the launch night used to go. Yeah, I don't think it'll be that wild, but it should be a good night. <laughs> no, man. It's cool. Thank you so much for coming on, man. Right. Cheers, Martin. We'll catch right. up soon, man. See you later, mate. All right. Later, man. Bye. Pay for Hello, welcome back. Thank you so much for checking out the interview there with myself and Jim. I do apologise about some of the audio quality during the interview. I know it was a little bit quiet in places and I hope you managed to sort of follow along to what we were talking about. Uh, Quite a few beers were had during the recording there, um, as you could probably tell. Um, So again, I hope we didn't ramble on too much, uh, to chat too much bollocks. Um, So please do go out and check uh, Jim's book out, The Bygones from Tangerine Press. It is a really great read and you will not regret picking up a copy. Um, So we're going to finish up the episode today with one more song from Nosebleed's new forthcoming album, um, Dance With The Devil. And this is actually the title track from that album. Um, And like I say, that will be out this November in 2022. So you can pick up a copy from TNS Records and uh, yeah, support your local DIY punks and your local writers. Thanks so much for listening and uh, here's Nosebleed. Laters, bye.